you are very welcome to this week's episode of Left Inside. It is a weekly podcast which looks at news, politics and culture from the left. I am Nicole and I will be your host for this week. Um, So today we're going to be discussing how Ireland has won um, its court case to allow Apple to keep their 13 billion euro in taxes. Um, We'll also be looking at Saoirse McHugh's decision to leave the Green Party. And then we are going to be getting the Green Party leadership results live as we record here uh, because we are recording on Thursday. So we'll have a bit of a chat at the end about that when the results have come through. The panellists for this week, uh, I'm joined by Dave Murphy. Hello. Paul Murphy. Hello. And a guest from the Echo Chamber podcast, Martin McMahon. So hello, Martin, and welcome to the podcast. How are you? Uh, good, thank you. Um, so tell us a little bit about the Echo Chamber podcast. You've been doing this left-wing podcast thing since before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We have. Are you professional? Uh, as professional as it gets, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> it's like asking a politician, are they professionals? You know, it's, it's, it's the same kind of answer. When it's what you do all day, yeah, you get pretty good at it. Yeah, you do. So yeah, we enjoy doing it. It's exactly what we want to do. Um, Drop. Oh, we'll actually we'll have Sersha tomorrow, so drop on over to us tomorrow and have a little listen. But uh, yeah, poaching all the exclusive guests. Very interesting. This is not a plug for your podcast, Martin. This is about us. Paul is Paul is a fair regular over on uh, the Echo Chamber as well. So <gasps> you're on other podcasts, Paul. <laughs> I keep my best stuff for here, though. I tell, them, I tell them things I don't even really believe over there, like just to keep. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, it's like something I've learned through doing this, though, is like podcasting is a lot harder than you think it's going to be. It's really hard to schedule everybody in for the same times every week and stuff like that. And I'd say, uh, the, 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 Tony and I are, are really committed to it. So we kind of, we work around all obstacles to make sure we get what we need. And we just do. We just do. And do you guys use uh, the Patreon page to get support for your, for your yeah, podcast? Yeah, we are independent. And that's that's the difference between us and a lot of other podcasts. You'll get the Irish Times podcast or the Irish Independent podcast. We're independent. Nobody pulls our strings. Everything we say is what we want to say, not what somebody else wants us to say. So, yeah, from that sense, we love that control. And it's the only bit of control we have over it. Um, once the conversation begins, it goes where it goes. That's the way it is. But is there any topics that you know you fundamentally disagree on so you avoid them? Ooh, as well? Good question, Dave. <laughs> and if it's heading that way, you pull we back. fundamentally disagree on every topic. Um, that, that, Thanks for a good podcast. <laughs> Yeah, that's not the, that's honestly the truth. We have different views on stuff, but um, we respect each other enough not to always jump down each other's throats on stuff. We will off air, trust me, we do. But on air, no, we, we, we have worked very hard to get it where it is. How many episodes now have you done? We are up on 330 something of the echo chamber. And overall, with all the podcasts, we're well over 500, I think, at this stage. Wow, impressive. Yeah, it's a lot. And and Tony does a huge amount of the technical work. Uh, by virtue, it's the studios in Tony's place. So it he, he does an awful lot of extra work. Um, but yeah, where we can, we all do a dig out as well. 
we can all help. We do help. Well, speaking of working hard and doing extra work, um, we had a lovely <laughs> view of one of our uh, new head of governments um, asleep in the doll there this week, good old Eamon. <laughs> um, As we said, yeah, he's sleeping his way to the top. Say the line. <laughs> <laughs> we rehearsed that joke earlier, but we hope it's still landing really well. <laughs> oh, well, you know, Rip Van, he has to, he has to do something, so he's going to sleep his way to the top of the Green Party. It's great if you can make a living that way, fair juice to him, you know. Whenever he, um, whenever he was asleep in the doll, this is what, last week, I think, this, this day last week, we're recording on Thursday, um, I was chatting with another, let's say, progressive TD who will remain unnamed, and I was like, Jesus, Eamon Ryan's asleep, <laughs> like, fuck's sake. Oh, you spotted him before it was even oh, called wait, out or anything? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, but this, no. This, this, this other 2D, TD who will remain unnamed is like, well, now, <laughs> the seats are very comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> So it could happen to the best of them. <laughs> oh, everyone's going to be drinking coffee galore going into the doll sittings now out of fear they're going to end up the next Eamon Ryan. <laughs> but, but but wasn't it incredible that they, like those journalists saying the seats are too comfortable? Like, you know, oh, I've fallen asleep in the cinema many a time. You I know? just... It's absolutely I thought it was amazing when I actually watched it because obviously I saw all the newspaper headlines and the picture of him asleep and stuff but then when I watched the video and he was genuinely being called out to vote and then somebody had to be like uh, Eamon and like he awoke to start I just I couldn't believe how deep a sleep he'd gone into like I love the, the rhetoric from the, uh, what is it now, the Radical Centre. I love the rhetoric. He was exhausted, you know, and I'm thinking, from what? Which advisors he's going to have? What office furniture he'd like in his office? What exactly has him exhausted? He's exhausted from selling out. That's what he's exhausted from. If you're a, a politician who's after getting a, a profile position, and it's a profile position, I know I'd be... I'd be wired going in there, wired. The idea that I could go in there and actually do something, achieve something that makes life better for other people. How could you fall asleep with that in your hands? How could you? Is that what you feel like going to work every day, Paul? Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, do, it, it does grind on you after a while. Um, I'd that, say that's, so, that's, man. That's the of enthusiasm that Martin has. Um, but then most still. of your life going mad. You, you do, but still, you're you're mad enough, and uh, you know you realise what you're doing in there is you're certainly trying to do something important in there. And um, something funny was that um, the guy who turned around to wake him up that was Jack Chambers, who was in his that was his first day of his new job as chief whip, who in all of a, <laughs> in, so in, well. in, in all of a week of uh, of being chief whip, Jack Chambers has managed to have like number three when his government fall asleep during a vote and have to wake him up. Uh, he's managed. He's managed to lose a vote on the, they had a big majority. They should have won the last count quarter position. They've managed to lose that vote. Um, he managed to, they, they drove through yesterday at a meeting I was at, uh, a big attack on basically cutting out loads of the opposition from the committee, but they were forced to back down at a meeting today because it was exposed. They were put under pressure. So in like one week, he's had three disastrous things that have happened so far after his elevation to that position. He kind of reminds me of Captain America. You know, he was frozen for a hundred years and when he was thawed out, he never moved on. But Captain America managed to. You know, that's Jack Chambers. He's still a hundred years ago. I mean, everything about him is a hundred years old. A hundred years old. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a he's a backwoodsman. 
backwoodsman of Fianna Fáil in the bodies of like a young Fianna Fáiler. He's like, a, you know, vitriolic, anti-choicer, really conservative. Um, and then obviously he's had all these like kind of freak outs on TV. But during the election in particular, he went crazy at, at Claire Byrne, I think. Yeah, he had a little, a little uh, moment. So this guy who's just going around having hissy fits everywhere, we're like, ah, oh, we'll make him chief whip. That sounds like the best job for him now. I know, I know. What well, you, you got to think of who was chief, like Phil Hogan was chief whip. You know, is he a Phil Hogan? Phil Hogan is a bruiser, you know, an absolute bruiser, beats people into line. Chambers isn't going to be able to do that because he just doesn't carry that kind of authority with him. And the vote today shows it, Paul. The vote absolutely shows it. And they're all going, oh, where did those those uh, votes from come from for Catherine? Well, they're Fianna Fáil votes. Yes, that's the rumour here from both both camps. Both Fergus Adel's camp, who was the Fine Gael candidate, and Catherine Connolly's camp, both of them think it was Fianna Fáilers who voted for her. It's absolutely Fianna Fáil because they have had it up to there with Michal Martin. There's a whole section of them just said, enough is enough now. We've had enough. And they will do everything they can to undermine them from here on in. And that's just the first bit. That's just the first. I mean, I've never seen a government had so little of a honeymoon. It had nothing. Absolutely nothing. I think that, I mean, the thing about the Eamon Ryan falling asleep is that I do think it's, it's, like, it's like the wolves comment, you know? It's another thing that just encapsulates for people the attitude of the Green Party establishment. And in this case, it was the fact that there was a motion on workers' rights. Eamon Ryan was asleep, had to be woken up in order to vote against workers' rights. And the rest of the Green Party TDs, they stayed awake and voted against workers' rights. Like, we'd be better off if they all just went asleep, stayed asleep, weren't woken up, then actually we could pass some things in favour of, of workers' rights. So it does seem a bit like he's going to get the leadership of the party, though, uh, which kind of means that those who had hoped the Greens could be shifted to the left is kind of game up for that. What do you think about that? I think to achieve the shift they needed, considering the vote that it took to get them into coalition, they had to shift over 40% of the party from centre-right to centre-left. I think that's 5, 10, 15, maybe 20 years' work. They don't have the time, and they simply don't have the time. If you're looking at a 12-year deadline on climate action, well, then you don't have 20 years to change your party from centre-right to centre-left. You just don't. But it, part of it as well is about like you have loads of people who've been attracted to the Green Party in the last few years because of the climate crisis. And I think like you have the contradiction between what they're like they're for, against climate change as a headline, but the policies to get there, like their neoliberal, their regressive taxation versus then the aspirations of the people who have joined and what we're seeing now play out in front of us, especially today. I think like the number of resignations that have come out today, um, people taking a big step, um, is because of that like fundamental contradiction between like left wing policies, socialist policies to tackle climate crisis versus like Eamon Ryan's right wing regressive green uh, like green uh, party policy. And that's the point that like like I agree with what Martin is saying that like sometimes. The urgency of the climate crisis is sometimes used to say, ah, well, you got to go in and something's better than nothing because it's so urgent. But actually, the urgency of the climate crisis means that these, you know, entirely useless half measures 
we don't have the time for them. We can't be wasting time and actually losing public support for climate action by messing around in government with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Instead, we have to fight for, you know, the kind of change that I think Saoirse McHugh, you know, does a very good job of uh, popularizing radical eco-socialist change because it's the only thing that can achieve um, the radical transformation in the short, short time that we have. So what do we think then is next for Saoirse McHugh and the others who've handed in their resignation to get the hell out of there? Tune in tomorrow night. I think I think Saoirse actually won the Euro Lotto. And I think this is her way of saying I'm bowing out of politics. I'm going to go and spend my Euro Lottos. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. She's right about activism. Activism, it can achieve much more than than the electoral process. And it does. And I see you commented about it today, Paul, about the water charges, about repeal. They they were all activist-led movements and Mm -hmm. it was all activists. So the idea that you can't have any change except within dollar, complete and utter nonsense. And you even look back 100 years ago, there was a group of men who said, yeah, well, we don't believe what's going on in politics, so we'll do it our own way. And they did. And that's how we have a country. So when you hear all this centrist dad saying, oh, it, it, mm-hmm. must be, it must be political change and it's all about compromise. Compromise leaves people sleeping in tents and it leaves vulture funds getting two and a half grand a month for rent. That's their compromise. It's a compromise of how the wealthy will spoil the riches, not how they get shared out amongst everybody. So screw compromise. Have some principles. Stand for something. Well, you just you've had today since Sister McHugh said she was leaving the Green Party, and like Martin said, emphasised you know electoral politics isn't the only thing, and real change comes from outside. You've had I don't know, it's probably ten political correspondents who have issued basically the same tweet saying, oh. She's like, she's a dictator. She's authoritarian. She's giving up on democracy. Um, uh, She lost a few elections and now she's given up on on basic democracy is what I think Kevin Doyle from the Indo said. But your man Fergal, what's his name from RTE? One after the other, like, and it just shows like the very narrow political horizons that these people have. Like, no wonder they get stuff wrong all the time because actually they're looking they're looking at like the tip of the iceberg of, of politics, which is how w- when pressure comes to bear eventually is reflected in the kind of circles that they're looking at. But 90% is underwater, is in social movements, is in changes in societal attitudes. And they don't even, they don't even know it exists. Even And when it's the key thing that actually drives political change, like no wonder political analysis and commentating is so bad in, in this country. Well, like the only thing to attract people into politics is political action. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't be here involved in the left had we have not had a movement for repeal or a movement for the environment. Like it's, you're not going to get active in something that's dead in the water, that's only doing things in the doll. Like If they were in America, they'd be Fox News telling Black Lives Matter to do everything through the electoral ballot box. Mm-hmm. That's what they'd be doing. So, you know, they wouldn't be on the right side if they were in the States. They would be Fox News. Um, so you got to take it all with a grain of salt. Yes, sir, she's right to leave it. Of course she's right to leave it. Why would she spend the next 10 years of her life trying to change them into what they should be already? You know, so why, why would she? I think she's dead right. There's a space on the left for a socialist uh, Green Party 
or for a socialist green movement with a political yeah, aspect, absolutely. rather than we'll say a party. Parties aren't the be-all and end-all of everything. So I think she's dead right. And I think the Extinction Rebellion and a lot of other young people who've been motivated to come out and get, get involved, they'll follow her. Absolutely yeah. follow her. And I think it was the wake-up call Em and Ryan needed but will ignore. And that's the God-honest truth. Just hear that there. That's that's the that's the voting bells. Oh, I'm going to be going shortly. Wow. Okay. Just, that's like a little insight into how the doll works. They ring these bells every so often. God, it sounds like these are children being called into class. Like that's basically that's basically yeah, what it is. That's what. Yeah. But they ring for they ring for, they ring for eight minutes. I think they grind oh, yeah, you down. Real panicky. I don't even like down. having it in the background now. And then if the Shannon has one at the same time, you have a double. It's it's quite annoying. But so. The, I think there's like this just transition greens, which seems to be like a halfway house between leaving and staying within the greens. Um, and I'd say like, like we would have compared it before to like, to like the Labour Party, like campaign for Labour policies, the left in the Labour Party when they went into government, who thought they could still have an impact. And like, what's the future for this group? I think, you know, I, I think like they have Nessa Horrigan, the TD in it, who will obviously now either have to vote for all the crap stuff the greens do or else break the whip and vote against it if she's like opposed to our policies. So I think like you have like a, a, a problem on the horizon here for both the Greens and this new group on the outside. Like, sorry for the bell at the background, by the way. This, this may get cut. Um, <laughs> I, think, um, I think it's an attempt to do like a, like a momentum style organization. But I, I, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't condemn them for it. I think they're making the wrong choice to hang around the Green Party. Um, but I think they are making a mistake um, for a couple of reasons. One, because the Green Party is not a party like Corbyn's Labour Party, with half a million members, something really worth fighting for. The Green Party is a relatively small party. But the second thing is that they're, they're going to be tainted. So I, I'm going down to a vote about the Debenhams workers now in a minute. And NASA Horgan is going to vote for the government motion, government amendment to gut our motion to support the, the Debenhams workers and to take an action to ensure that they get the redundancy that they're that they're owed. And I just think immediately people will say, well, how can you do that? Is it do the just transition green stand over it? And so they don't have some sort of like long amount of time whereby they can build an opposition within, etc. The, the longer they stay, the more they're going to be tainted by everything bad. So I just hope that like Searsha's example will prove to be attractive for them and they realise it, it's a hard thing to do to leave a party, no question, but they're much better off getting out and helping to build a broad party of the left with space for, for different uh, trends within it. Yeah, it's harder to stay within a party that you just keep hitting a brick wall and doesn't stand for what you, the reasons that you joined it for. So I feel like in order to keep some sort of momentum behind them, you're right, they do need to leave. Well, you can, if you look at Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and to a great degree Labour, um, they're patronage parties. So they work for their, their patrons, that's who they work for. Whereas the Greens is meant to be a movement more than it is a party. And they're judging success on how many TDs, senators and county councillors they have. But that's not helping the planet once one inch. So success in a Green view is not how many people you have in government. It's how, how much of an impact you can make on the environment. And that's where the split has now become. 
Sorsha mm-hmm. is an environmentalist. The others are politicians before they are environmentalists. What do I think of the halfway group? Um, we don't have a, a civil service anymore. We have a secret service. Everything GDP and FOI is is buried. So um, anything that gets us any information about what's going on is a plus. But I also agree with Paul. The longer you leave it, the more tainted you become. But yeah, look, we'll take information whatever way we can get it. And if you get it that way, we'll take it. Um, yeah, grand. So we now have the results of the Green Party leadership election. We're just going to play them now. Dave, if you wouldn't mind to... Votes were then 1940, 1940. Catherine Martin received 946 votes, 946. Eamon Ryan received 994 votes. God, it's pretty close, though, isn't it? Eamon, Green by, Eamon Ryan yes. by 50. It's 48. 48. The maths. I declare Eamon Ryan re-elected as leader of the Green Party. So, so we've just heard there that Eamon Ryan has been uh, elected as the leadership of the Green Party, and um, the difference being 48 votes, which is pretty close. How do we feel? Do we feel as though it wouldn't have been so close had he have not had the incident of falling asleep there last week? <laughs> I think it's a win for the mortgage holders. Um, I think it's good for the Greens who own houses. I think the Greens who care about the environment, not so much. Not so much. Uh, can't see them holding the Green Party together now. Just can't see it happening. Whatever chance they had of keeping the young people was with Catherine Martin. But, you know, Rip Van Ryan is not going to keep them there. He's just not. How close was it? Tell me, I I, I was moving. So it's uh, 994 to uh, Eamon Ryan, 946. Jesus, so it, it was a lot closer than they expected. 1800. Interesting. It's only 40 think- winks in it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think now, like, I think a lot of talk is going to be over, like, oh, what does this mean for the future leadership of the Greens? You could hear it today, that, like, this idea that, like, oh, if there's a leadership battle and, it, and it's close, well, then whoever wins by a narrow margin is on their way out if it's the, the previous leader. Um no, I don't think so. I think the the most precarious leader at the present moment in the, in the doll is Michal Martin, and I think we're not hearing about it in the news. But I think yeah, that vote today that they they lost for the chief or for the the, the assistant Karen Corla, I think you can absolutely say the knives are out for Michal Martin, and that's the electoral battle you're not hearing about. The Greens is a bit of theatre, but what's happening in Fianna Fáil is way more serious. Actually, it's actually way more serious. So, Martin, I believe uh, you were discussing the Apple tax case on the Echo Chamber this week. So could you maybe bring us up to speed on this win, supposedly, that we had for Ireland? Well, it was a very, the decision that came out of the EU was, it was a very narrow parameter. It was, are they in receipt of illegal state aid? And it's important to remember that as the context. And the result out of the EU was, um, no, they're not. It's not illegal state aid to give Apple a tax break of 0.0005% on the money they have traveling through Ireland. And we are the waven pipes of Europe. There are billions flowing through Ireland. And because our government say it's okay to do this, 
it's not illegal. Therefore, we are a tax haven. We are just the most transparent tax haven. We explain how we're a tax haven and everybody knows that we are a tax haven. The bigger question for me is, when this decision was made, we were told that corporate tax was at 12%. But in reality, they were making decisions to make it much, much smaller percentage. Um, there was never a political discussion about this. There was nobody ever said, this is, this is what we'd like to do. We'd like to increase the burden of taxation on the little person and allow corporations first to come in here and operate for free um, because jobs... And it's always because jobs, great, 13 billion divided by 6,000. You have to pay those people 2 million before they're paying anything back into the economy. So this argument about jobs is bullshit. It's utter, utter bullshit. You know, we're literally paying 2 million for a job that might pay 30,000. How does that make sense in any world? The bigger thing is taxation on the little person. Water taxes, household charges, all of these bin charges, they're all to make up for the loss of corporate tax. That's what they're there for. So we, we take the burden. And these people come in and literally, I'm surprised they haven't changed the bus lanes to corporate car lanes where the, the special class can drive down them and everybody else has to be stuck in traffic. I mean, we're, we've... We are that country. That's who we are. Don't be giving them ideas there, Martin. I'm sure they'll be tuning into our podcast, Dave, taking all of those. Um, just something that I found absolutely astonishing about this was how long it goes back. So a quote from one of the Apple officials when they were under oath on the US Senate inquiry. Um, they're quoted as saying, since the early 90s, the government of Ireland has calculated Apple's taxable income in such a way as to produce an effective rate in um, in low single digits. The rate has varied from year to year, but since 2003, it has been 2% or less. I just didn't realise that since the early 90s that they've been playing this game. See, this is like that, 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 that whole economic model on steroids. Like, I think it's like from when did Whitaker have, you know, like the his economic document that pointed towards, you know, a low tax model and attract, instead of building up industry in Ireland, we'll attract industry in from without. And like, that's like the, like the intellectual basis from which 12.5% flows. And then once you get to 12.5% to further attract jobs, what do you do? You go under 12.5% and then you end up at like whatever, 0.005%. And I think like the point that Martin made there about like, well, you know, like, they avoid tax, but ordinary people get hit with uh, different types of charges. Like if you look across the EU, in terms of corporate tax avoidance, it's billions and billions of euro which like states lose out on in taxation that they should receive. And it's like that money is why we don't have like a proper healthcare system, why we don't have like decent schools, why we don't have anything, like why we don't have nice things is because we give all the nice things to like Apple and, and big business. Yeah, and not not only do we allow them away with the 14.3 billion, we actually spent over 8 million trying to defend this uh, decision to make them keep the money. It's just outrageous. Well, if you if you look back at the 90s and particularly the early 90s, there's a couple of things. The early 90s was such a depressing place in Ireland. 
everybody got out. That's what they did. They went to America, they went to Australia, they went to England. There was no work here. So it may have been seemed like a good idea at the time to attract some jobs. But, you know, it has now, we're now at the opposite end of the scale where it's the worst idea in the goddamn world to be allowing uh, corporations wash their money through your, your country. And the second thing is always remember who was in power at the time. Charlie McCreevy was the Minister for Finance. And don't forget it. I mean, these things go back way beyond any of our, our real memory. And Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, no matter who's in power, they continue to perpetuate these things. They are the hand in the glove. They are inseparable, absolutely inseparable when it comes to this kind of thing. Well, I think it's incredible how successful they've been at it, like, you know. So, like, this idea of, like, the corporation tax rate being 12.5% and now, as we see, even less. Like, if you go, like, they've made that such a key idea in Irish society. Like, that if you go and talk to an ordinary person on the street, like, for a whole, like, it might be, get, be beginning to change now. But for a whole period of time, they've been successful in creating the idea that if we don't have the low corporation tax rate, we'll have no jobs. Oh, you yeah. Know? All the big multinationals will will pack up and leave the minute we try to tax them. But what I found most interesting about that is like since the early 90s, like that's my whole life. So there's generations now coming up who've never known any different but this low tax rate for big corporations. So it's become the norm for us. That's the nature of FDI. It will eventually dry up. And as when they put all their eggs in the property uh basket. When that went tits up, the country was screwed. The same happens with FDI. If FDI starts to pull out of this country, you have no corporation tax coming in whatsoever. It is a bad model to have everything invested in your corporate tax take. It's a very bad model. And it, it does a disservice then to indigenous companies and homegrown companies. They don't get the same focus to build. And they're the more secure jobs in the long term. They are always the more secure jobs. So, you know, all your eggs in one basket, you know, okay, so we get some windfalls from corporation tax. That doesn't last. And what do you do then? They're still getting a 5% tax rate, but they won't be paying any corporate tax. And you've been screwed for 20, 25 years. Okay. Yeah, I think like that point about like, well, it's not going to last forever. Like that's like the truest point that can be made. Like, you know, um, I think like you're having your industrial policy based on like low corporation tax is like, like it's like building on sand because either one, like somebody else just undercuts you and then like it, get, it gets attracted there. Number two, you have something like say like Trump coming to power, which he's trying to put protectionist policies get industry back to America. He was out talking about that again uh, yesterday. Uh, again, under give them a load of uh, sweeteners to try and get them back. Um, or else three, like everyone just realises you're running a scam. And you have stuff like now with like the, what the EU are trying to push in terms of like the tax harmonisation, which like, like undermines it again. So no matter what way they turn here, like they're, they're running into a brick wall and they've sort of come to the end of the, like the, the road paved with money in terms of this. Well, there's also the fact that none of these tech companies um, will last forever. I mean, I know it's very hard to think that Facebook won't be around, but Facebook is one fuck up away from being the most unpopular thing <laughs> in the world. Yeah, sure. Before Facebook, there was MyFace, and before that, there was Bebo. Do you know what I mean? There's been 
so many that, that you know okay so apple's in the ascendancy or it's at its plateau of of popularity that doesn't mean that that's going to last look at nokia you couldn't get oh a mobile God, phone that wasn't so Nokia right, Dave, 20 actually, years yeah. ago. <laughs> They've gone back to the paper business. If you take it, if you take yeah. it on an even smaller scale, there was a time when when um, that video store, what was it called? Um, Extra, Vision. Extra Vision. Extra Vision had every prime spot in the city. Yeah. And nobody ever thought of a world without Extra Vision. Nobody can think of a world where people aren't going to walk down the road with a cup of takeaway coffee in their hand. But they are. You know, it will happen. These things do happen. So it's not forever. And you need to plan long past the Apples, long past the Facebooks and the Twitters. Everything changes. And the the rate of progress, I don't like to call it progress, but the rate of change is exponential. It's faster and faster and faster all the time. Today as well, the government announced their July stimulus plan. But like, and, and the essence of the July stimulus is okay, the economy's in a crisis because of coronavirus. That's that's true. That's accurate. And we need to pump money in to try to get out of the crisis, which again, has a lot of truth to it. But the model that they're using for that is again, a continuation of reliance on private investment. So the vast bulk of the money is going to go into private hands, um, which means like a huge wastage in terms of like at the moment, the state is paying for the wages of workers in Aer Lingus, in Ryanair, in Dublin Airport Authority, in Britvic, in in probably the majority of the economy around the country at this stage. And with no conditions, the state doesn't get anything for paying for these wages. The, the companies are able to attack workers' wages and conditions. They're able to refuse to recognize trade unions and there's no consequence whatsoever. So instead, the idea, if, if they weren't so wedded to a neoliberal and capitalist mindset, they would say, yes, we need a stimulus, absolutely. One, put money in people's pockets. So don't cut the pandemic unemployment payment. Instead, you know, maintain it and increase it. Two, where you're giving money to, you know, very small companies that need it, et cetera. Okay, that's that's fine, but it should be done on a proven need basis. So they're not able to be profitable and then pocketing uh, the, the money. And w- where you're giving it to major companies, uh, at the very least, you should have conditions so they, they shouldn't be tax resident in another country and they shouldn't be refusing to recognize trade unions. They shouldn't be paying poverty wages, but also that money should really go to then the state having, you know, state having ownership of these companies if we're paying the, the wages of these companies, um, but also then developing, you know what I mean, invest in renewable energy, invest in care jobs, invest in green jobs on a massive uh, scale as a way out and putting us on a sustainable track of development. Yeah, don't bail out, buy out. Mm-hmm. You know, don't bail these. We've done bailouts before and all it is is money out of our pockets into their profits. So don't bail anybody else. If you want money, what are you giving in return? So nothing for nothing. I mean, the ordinary person doesn't get it. You are expected, if you're on a pandemic payment, you're expected to pull your weight, stay at home, observe the rules, don't go on foreign holidays. There are all these caveats attached. That's the deal, you, yeah. Yeah, that's the deal. So what's the caveats to companies? There are no caveats. You can send your profits on holidays. You can send your profits to a different country to be suntanned, lay on the beach and get bigger and brighter. But the ordinary citizen is paying the price of this pandemic. So nothing for nothing. Companies who are getting money, it should be not just seen as a bailout. Union recognition would be an absolutely easy one to do. If you want the money, recognize unions. 
I mean, why isn't that caveat there? And I think it's it's that that's like like if you compare that approach with currently what's happening with the Debenham workers, like the idea that you could put in that in exchange for any money going out, there was safety nets in terms of extra rights for workers to stop stuff like that uh, from uh, going on. And instead, they're just like, it's, they're not even loans that they're going to give. They're just like giving them the money here, you know, keep going uh, with nothing in return. But it, it, tax, it all comes down. The whole, everything is linked. As we've learned, everything is linked. The Apple tax, the Green Party going into a neoliberal government, uh, extra taxes and austerity will come, Paul. There's no doubt but austerity will come. They'll call it something else. They're all linked. It's all linked. It's not separate issues. It's all the same issue. You need to change the model. You need to change the people who are making the decisions. That's what needs to be changed. And I think that links back to like this idea that we were talking about at the start, about what Saoirse McHugh was speaking about, like uh, about like electoral democracy. And like the other model then is like, do you have economic democracy? Like, you know, that like we all go in, we all have a, in a workplace, we all like have a decision on where money is invested is it given with higher wages um, and across the economy where money is actually invested like we have like a say a popular say in terms of where like money is invested in housing rather than in corporate welfare money is invested in health rather than bailing out you know um, like low low paying bosses and companies I think like that's the different form of eco- of democracy that we we need to be pointing towards away from just this idea that electoral politics... Well, just yesterday we heard that Jeff Bezos increased his fortune by 10 billion. And yet we have all the politicians in the world looking at each other going, who's going to pay for this? Well, we all have to take our medicine, you know. Now, the simplest solution <laughs> is the best. I saw a good, I saw a good tweet saying... Um, Oh, Jeff Bezos decided not to abolish world hunger today. Maybe he's, he's leaving <laughs> tomorrow. Tomorrow, what decision is he going to make? You know, that's the amount of money that we're talking about. And, and yeah. we talk about, oh, where's the money going to come from, etc. Yeah, yeah. The money is there. The money exists. It's about looking and saying, you know, what's the simplest way to pay for the? And we're in a lot of trouble with the pandemic. The whole world is in a lot of trouble with the pandemic. What's the simplest way to pay for it? Well, the simplest way to pay for it is get the 0.01 percent to pay for it who can pay for it and still be billionaires it's not like anybody's trying to impoverish them you're not you're just saying you have too much wealth well now martin we do we do have a slogan of abolish the billionaires (laughs) we're not going to leave them with a billion (laughs) but no one needs that money to live off of it's not practical even if you started with an arbitrary figure of one billion, it's just an arbitrary figure. And say, look, everything over a billion is, is you know, that's cream cakes. You don't really need it. You know, why don't we invest it back in, pay for the COVID, get rid of poverty, every country, public health, you know, let's do a bit of good with this money instead of just having it sitting in your bank accruing more and more interest. What is so wrong with that idea? I think that if you're going to say it, it's going to have to be phrased in an, a lot less nicer way, unfortunately, because they just... Well, I know how I'd phrase it. I know exactly how I'd phrase it. I'd probably be arrested. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we really want to hear, Martin. Yeah, stand and deliver, I think, is a nice way to say it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the reality that 
somebody has been gaining the entire time from people's misery in in this is something that we really need to look at you know how is he managing to funnel all the wealth up while the rest of us are all in debt down here it's not managing it's neoliberal government yeah absolutely he's been handed such low tax rates that he's like great i didn't even try i'm just being thrown money <laughs> yeah yeah it's lovely for him it's great i think paul's about to take off yeah, it looks like there's some serious voting going on there. That, that was voting, yeah. That was voting no to... Did you just vote government there? Amendment. I did just vote there, yeah. That's how it happens. Democracy in action. That's the highest form of democracy right there. Wow. In the convention centre. Yeah. In the economic democracy, in future, we'll all be sitting in factories doing that the whole time. Yeah. Just taking, break, <laughs> taking breaks every, every five minutes to have an L vote. Um, is it a really empty doll while they're voting on the Debenhams thing? Or is there people there just out of curiosity? Um, it was so we're doing we do all the votes together on a Thursday and uh, how many people are here there's on this motion there's 72 for and 64 against so what's that 136 out of 160 I'm going to have to split here now guys because I this is we, we, we made history now but recording a podcast while, while voting in the doll but I probably can't um, can't do this forever Um. okay so uh Thank you, everybody, for um, your contributions on the panel um, and especially to you, Martin, for joining You're us welcome. this week. Thank you very much. Um, I would also like to thank anybody who has listened and ask if you do enjoy the podcast to like and subscribe and share it with your friends, tell the whole world. And also this coming Wednesday um, Rise has a very exciting event. We have an online launch of our quarterly eco-socialist magazine um, Rupture and uh, so there's a Facebook event for that if you are looking to join and um, I'm sure there'll probably be details put under the description of the podcast. So thank you everybody for listening. <laughs> <laughs>